Hello and welcome to River Talk, where we sit down with some of the Rivertown area's most interesting and notable people. Today's guest is the superintendent of the Hendrick Hudson School District, Joseph Hawkrider. Mr. Hawkrider, thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. First of all, why don't you tell me a little bit about the Hendrick Hudson School District? It's a unique district in a lot of ways. Yeah, we're um, we're very proud of our school district, of of our staff, our students, our great community support, uh, and we're one of the few towns in Westchester County where really the school district is the hub of the community. If you look at, let's just talk the river towns, for example, we don't have a real dedicated downtown. We have a number of different hamlets. We have Montrose, Buchanan, Verplank. But what brings our school community together over 22 square miles is our school district. Uh, We have three elementary schools, a middle school and a high school. We have around 2,300 students, a fantastic uh, train station that's Um, been uh, recently built and remodeled. We have an average of 19 students per class size in elementary school, over 31 college courses that high schoolers can take. We're very, very proud of our our school district, and we're very thankful to have community support. And we think that as we confront some of the challenges we have, particularly with Indian Point, we know that that community support will play a vital role. And how about yourself? How did you get involved in the district? Where did your career in education begin? Yeah, my career in education began outside of Rochester, New York. I I grew up with a family of educators. I was a high school social studies and special education teacher and coach and eventually was was tapped to pursue my master's degree in school leadership. And I was able to complete that in two years as a young professional. And I had the opportunity to serve as a high school principal and a district office administrator. And before coming to Hendrick Hudson, I served as a deputy superintendent and superintendent for seven years in the southern tier of New York. So I've I've been here in Hendrick Hudson since July of 2013 and uh, have presided over many, many successes, many challenges. And as we continue to chart what our course will look like with Indian Point closing here soon, um, certainly we have an opportunity to move our district in a different yet progressive uh, direction. So you brought up the Indian Point nuclear power plant. Uh, There's been an interesting relationship over the years between Indian Point and the surrounding community, but specifically the school district. Tell me a little bit about that. Indian Point has been a great partner. They have uh, supported our teachers and students going on tours and field trips. They have mentored some of our students who are budding scientists. They have provided hundreds of thousands of dollars in grant funds and uh, supplies and equipment so we can support our STEM initiatives and even expand our STEM initiatives. So they have been nothing but a fantastic community partner. We're very, very sad to see them go. We know that many of our local um, parents and community members will be affected, either in terms of having to uh, find a new career path or they have been redistributed or Entergy, who owns Indian Point, has, has found new employment for them. So while we understand and appreciate some of the business dynamics that led to Indian point having to close, they have been nothing but a fantastic partner and and are always willing to help us out when we need support and to volunteer, pitch in, and make contributions that, that have been certainly impacting student achievement for decades here. And of course, the pilot program, uh, payment in lieu of taxes, that Entergy, Indian Point's parent company, has provided a, a lot of that goes towards the school district. 
Yeah, the Indian Point pilot in sum goes to a number of different municipalities. It goes to the school district, the town of Cortland, some to the Westchester County, the village of Buchanan, uh, and one of the fire districts. The school district receives about 70% of um, that total pilot payment, and 70% of that pilot payment equates to 30% of our budget. So at the most recent year of the pilot being fully funded at 100%, that equated to roughly $25 million, which is 30% of our budget. And I don't have to speak in great detail for parents or, or any community member to understand how significant a budget reduction of 30% is. Three out of every $10 going out the door is significant, whether it's a business, whether it's your personal budget, or certainly a school district. And we have spent a number of years, over four years now since Indian Point announced their closure, of how do we confront this? And we have stressed out about it. We have uh, done a lot of research. We've had significant amounts of community engagement talking about what the strategies need to be so the district can remain uh, effective, remain efficient, and can continue to be a destination district where families want to move into. But replacing 30% of our budget is a daunting task. We've advocated with our local elected officials for more revenue. That has worked. There is now the opportunity for the spent nuclear fuel to be taxed, yet we still believe we're a few years away from realizing the potential of that. And so we've looked internally. Uh, we've looked at our own practices. We've looked at our own programs. We've tried to find ways that we could be more innovative and efficient to reduce the tax burden on our community. The goal has been to try to find opportunities to increase revenue from other sources and reduce our expenses without relying on taxes. For seven years in a row, from uh, 2013, our average tax increase was 1.04%. Uh, you would be really hard-pressed to find any Westchester school district that could say, over a seven-year period, the average tax increase was 1.04%. Last year, the first year of the Indian Point pilot going away, our tax increase was just under six, uh, and the community supported that. But uh, we know that we have work to do to curb future tax spikes and to be uh, responsive to our community that uh, does not want to be taxed out of their homes. And those are some of the tough discussions we've been having over the last uh, 18 months. Now, let's take it back to a few years ago when the announcement was first made of Indian Point's closure. A lot of people I've spoken to have told me that local officials who would be affected the most were taken by surprise. I spoke with Dr. Richard Becker of Portland. He said he learned about it in the newspaper. Yeah, I, I found out about it. It was around a quarter after eight in the morning in early January. I was walking to my car, and it was Linda Piglisi who who called and asked if I could uh, rearrange my schedule and head down to, I believe it was, uh, the Doubletree in Terrytown to basically witness the press conference where Entergy was announcing that they are going to cease operations at the end of this April 21. So that's how we found out. That's how I found out. There was no advance notice and there wasn't a heads up. And I understand that these negotiations are confidential and I, I work in a very confidential environment. But, you know, it, it burned us a little bit because of, as what I said earlier, how great of a partner Indian Point has been and how we've partnered together in a number of projects and we've supported Indian Point through their relicensing process so long as they you know, were safe and followed the rules and guidelines. So it was a surprise, but we also appreciate that there's a process to go through and, and you've got to be confidential about it. But it really shook us. It shook our community. It was a surprise. I think it's fair to say not many people saw it coming. 
Sure. And uh, shortly after that, a task force was formed. Tell me a little bit about that, the people who make up the task force, how the formation process went. Yeah. Uh, shortly after the plan announced its closure, uh, Linda Puglisi, myself, and Teresa Knickerbocker, the, the mayor of Village of Buchanan, got together and uh, tried to problem solve how do we advocate for all of these different entities, the town, the village, and certainly the school district. And Linda pulled a page out of uh, what uh, happened in, in Terrytown or Sleepy Hollow when the GM plant closed uh, decades ago. That Similarly, that community started a task force with representation from all different corners of, of business and industry within the immediate area. So on our task force, we certainly had elected officials at the state, local level, and even the federal level. I believe Senator Gillibrand and Schumer sent representatives. We had real estate agents. We had representatives from uh, various uh, union organizations within Indian Point. We had a really breadth and depth of talented business leaders to try to help carve a path forward and really two paths. One, advocacy to make sure our voice is heard and, the, and that there is uh, some sort of opportunity to discuss replacement revenue. And then on the other end was envisioning what the future would look like after Indian Point closes. We knew that the decision was made. The decision to close certainly had a number of different entities in the room, but when Entergy said that they were upside down in terms of the amount of money they were spending trying to keep the plan open, fighting litigation from the state, going through the relicensing process, and the fact that natural gas and fracking has driven down the cost of energy, they were upside down. They were not profitable. We understand, you know, the decision they made. So the task force didn't get into, you know, the what or the why. They began advocating and began uh, discussing life after Indian Point in terms of potential business development. Uh, could the property be subdivided while it goes through decommissioning? You know, it's it's one of the only significant stretches of east side Hudson Riverfront property that expands from New York City to Albany that does not have train tracks running along the shoreline. So if the property could be decommissioned and cleaned up and meet environmental standards, we realized that that could be a destination for any number of businesses. And the task force started focusing really on the future and what life could look like without Indian Point. So we were a little schizophrenic. We were dealing with funding and and trying to uh, find new revenue sources so that we didn't just rely on property taxes. And also uh, have had a series of, of really forward-thinking conversations about what the future of this region could look like with that property becoming available. And it was certainly stressful, but also exciting to uh, be able to close our eyes and dream a little bit. And a lot of that waterfront property is currently being used right now and for the foreseeable future for nuclear waste storage. Yes, correct. So absent of federal legislation where spent nuclear fuel in the casks in which they reside could be moved to a central or regional repository, those casks full of spent nuclear fuel will remain there until they completely decompose, and that could take up to 60 years. So there still will be evidence and a reminder that that property was once a nuclear power plant for decades, uh, but perhaps not all 240 acres. Uh, you know, the worst thing that any of us want to see is, you know, a barbed wire fence around 240 acres with a padlock. That's not good for anybody. So if there's a, a way to safely decommission and have considerable discussion about future development of the property, I think everyone can breathe a sigh of relief and that there could be some uh, financial relief on the way. 
So you talked about the advocacy that the task force has done, uh, reaching out to state officials. How has that worked out? Uh, what sort of response have you got? Well, very positive. It's worked. Um, uh, Sandy Galef and, and Pete Harcum, both Democrats in the Assembly and, and the Senate respectively, uh, have been at almost all of those task force meetings. I communicate with them regularly, if not them directly, certainly their, their chiefs of staff and key legislative people. And they have come through every year. They have advocated with us to increase the cessation fund. The cessation fund is, is revenue available to communities that lose a, a power plant so that there is more of a soft landing and not huge tax increases because of revenue cliffs. They advocated for over $32 million in two years. We were able to uh, increase the cessation fund, and with their help about six months ago over the summer, we uh, successfully argued, and uh, New York State is now fully funding the cessation fund. So over $70 million will be flowing into our community, representative of the school, the town, the village, and the county. $70 million of tax avoidance, and that's really important to underscore. This new revenue is not a one-to-one replacement for Indian Point. I don't think we'll ever be able to recoup that, but $70 million to supplant lost revenue from Indian Point is $70 million of taxes we didn't raise. So we've been consistent, we've been aggressive, but our local elected officials have have heard us. Pete and Sandy signed a bill to, um, really a a trend-setting bill, to allow spent nuclear fuel to be taxed as real property. And the governor signed that on New Year's Eve. And uh, we now have the opportunity potentially um, to raise additional revenue from the spent nuclear fuel that will remain on that campus. Now, that's uh, it's really good news, but also uh, frustrating because this will be the first time in New York State that spent nuclear fuel is taxed. So uh, it's certainly trailblazing and trendsetting. But because it's so new, uh, it's going to take a while to develop and identify, you know, what is the value of spent nuclear fuel? What are the metrics that we would use to assess a tax on it? And then negotiate, basically negotiate that value with the company. And, um, you know, that's not to fast forward, but that's why we ended up with a pilot with Indian Point is because it was really difficult to determine the net worth of a nuclear uh, energy company. So what the pilot did is, is it gave a series of guarantees. The school district, the town and village had a guarantee revenue uh, expectation. And the business, Entergy, had a guaranteed expense expectation. So it worked out, and we'll see we'll see which pathway we take with, with assessing a tax on the spent nuclear fuel. But their advocacy has been really, really important. This has been uh, their top priority. They have been present. They have been visible. They have been asking the right questions, and they've delivered. So we're, our efforts in terms of advocacy have resulted in real dollars and tax avoidance or tax relief to our communities. So a lot of these things you've said are coming down the road. In the meantime, what are some of the more direct ways that the school district is dealing with the loss of revenue? Yeah, this has been really significant. We've asked a lot of tough questions of ourselves and our school community over the last couple of years. In 2017, shortly after Indian Point announced their closure, we commissioned a study to look at our facilities. Uh, we had an independent group conduct a cost analysis to determine if we organize students differently 
could we save money? For example, if we closed an elementary school, if fifth graders left elementary and fifth graders were educated in the middle school, if students at the elementary level, instead of going to each of their three separate elementary schools, K through five, what if they all went to elementary schools together by grade level and moved between the three schools? That's called a Princeton plan. Uh, So we had an independent group look at that financial analysis, and they made some recommendations to our Board of Education back in uh, November, December-ish of 2019. And a little over a year ago, in January of 2020, we decided to look particularly at the Princeton plan. Basically, that's where all students, K through 5, go to school together by grade level. So school A would have all of the kindergarten and first grade, school B would have second and third, and school C would have fourth and fifth, and then together they'd move to the middle school. That plan, after diving into it with a great level of specificity, that plan could save our community about $2 million a year in tax avoidance. What I mean by that is, is if we stayed with our status quo plan versus the Princeton plan, the delta, the difference between the two expenses would be, would be a little over $2 million each year. We know taxes have to go up. It's a matter of whether we want them to go up and another $2 million in order to keep our three elementary schools. The other issue we have while we're talking about a funding revenue gap from Indian Point, we also have significant demographic shifts in our community. Our enrollment is down 10% over the last 10 years. In fact, one of our elementary schools, their enrollment is down about 30% in the last 10 years. So we have not only financial issues to address because of Indian Point, but we have some structural issues to, to address as well in terms terms of not only the number of students in our district, but where they live and how they're distributed among three schools. Uh, Next year, we're anticipating one elementary school to have 200 kids and another elementary school to have double at 400. There are some savings to be had by reorganizing our elementary students a little bit differently, and that's a discussion uh, that we've been having in our community for almost a year, and we're going to continue to have because we know that our taxpayers need some relief, and if we can restructure some of our systems without abandoning programs or opportunities for kids or supports, uh, that's a, a worthy discussion to have and a really difficult one. And I think over the last number of months, we found both to be true, that that, that uh, discussing reorganizing elementary students uh, is both uh, a necessary and rewarding conversation, but also uh, very emotional. And it brings out a lot of different opinions that really need to be heard and vetted. But what we know is that our future is going to look much different than our past. And, and we need to have that set of agreements to begin the discussion. Obviously, the closing of Indian Point is something affecting a lot of people, uh, but it's a particularly personal issue for you, someone who is an educator and responsible for the future of these schools. Uh, And obviously, this isn't something you saw coming when you took the job. What does the future look like for the Hendrick Hudson School District? I know that we'll be okay because the families and community members that are engaged remain engaged. What we haven't seen, this is a a really good leading indicator, what we haven't seen is an oversaturated housing market where people are trying to sell their house and and get out of town. In fact, the opposite has happened. The real estate agents in our region have said this is the hottest sustained duration of a housing market in the last 12 years. Home values are up, sales are up, homes are selling over asking, they're on the market for uh, less and less over the last few years. So those are really, really good indicators. 
I think that people had opinions on Indian Point, whether they supported nuclear power, whether they felt it was safe or not safe enough. I think people are realizing that there's a blank canvas after Indian Point and that families who wanted to move up here from Brooklyn or Long Island, because I meet with a lot of new families that move here, they may not have considered Hendrick Hudson because of their position or opinion on nuclear power in Indian Point. They are now considering it because Indian Point is phasing out and there will be some sort of of renaissance over there. So I think our our future remains bright. Uh, I have said for the last seven years, we want Hendrick Hudson to to be and to remain a destination district. Our programs are top-notch. We compete with any other high school, public or private in our region. And that in these challenges are opportunities. The Board of Education over the last number of years uh, has approached strategic planning through the lens called a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And we use that mechanism and philosophy with a stakeholder committee of about 35 staff, parents, and community members talking about the Princeton plan and life after Indian Point. And what we found is that as stressful as this conversation is, because we're talking about personal finances, we're talking about teachers that provide programs for kids, as stressful as those topics are, that group as well as our Board of Education, found significant strengths and opportunities from this situation. And so I think as long as we continue to deal with reality and have optimism that these challenges can bring about positive change and opportunities that we otherwise wouldn't have thought about, I think we're going to be just fine. And and so far, in, in the four-plus years since Indian Point announced their closure, we have continued to provide outstanding programs for kids. Students are, are going to great colleges. They're playing athletics and they're performing on our stages. Our community supported close to a $20 million capital improvement project to improve our facilities. This community is committed to the schools, uh, and they'll continue to be, and that's, uh, that's really encouraging. Well, on that optimistic note, we'll wrap things up. Mr. Hawkwriter, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. For more information on the Hendrick Hudson School District, check out henhudschools.org. And to learn more about the Indian Point Task Force, visit indianpointcap.com. River Talk is a production of Rivertown's Media, publishers of the River Journal and River Journal North. For more information, check out riverjournalonline.com slash rivertalk. Do you know someone from the area who would make a great guest on our show? Let us know at rivertalk at rivertownsmedia.com. Rivertalk is executive produced by Alan Begun and Bruce Apar of Rivertowns Media. I'm Christian Larson, and I'll see you next time.